Six and five is a less than ideal situation if you were the Florida Gators, but that's the hand we were dealt. But the question everybody's asking is, what the hell happened on Saturday? We're going to talk about it here on Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Gators your first listen of the day. We're available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy Monday. Not a victory Monday, but a Monday. I'm Brandon Olson. Find me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find my written work with Whole Nine Sports and GiantsCountryOfSI.com. Before we get into it, uh, thanks everybody that's been listening. Numbers have been great, so appreciate that. Like, subscribe, comment, review, join the Lockdown Gators Discord in the link below. Um, but yeah, now it's now it's time to talk about the Vanderbilt game. Um, whew, I don't know where to start with this other than it really, really, really sucked. Um, no other way around it. I mean, when we when we started with the offense and we talk about what went wrong, you always have to start with the quarterback, whether or not they were the biggest issue. That's kind of up in the air. But Anthony Richardson has to be more aggressive. That that's my biggest thing with it. Um, his inaccuracy or inconsistent accuracy, whatever people like to call it, to make themselves feel better, because I know that a lot of Gators fans are in my comments like he's not inaccurate. He's just inconsistent. Guess what, buddy? What's inconsistent about him? His accuracy? Oh, so he's inaccurate. It's as simple as that. Um, but yeah, they, that showed up. Wasn't helped by when he was on target. There were five drops. And I'll say this. I Yes, there were five drops on the Florida Gators receivers. Two by Montreal Johnson. I blame Montreal Johnson for just one of them. Usually, um, yeah, you could blame the receiver. But Anthony Richardson did what Anthony Richardson has done somewhat frequently where he just throws fastballs. It happens, especially when he gets rattled. You saw it in the Kentucky game. He did it and it really, really reared its head um, against Vanderbilt where he gets a little flustered and every pass is just a missile. And there was one to the right, well, to Anthony Richardson's right. He gunned it at Montreal Johnson and it, it was just way too fast. He was still behind the line of scrimmage. There were maybe 10 to 15 yards between them, and he just rifled the ball in. Couldn't make the play. So I, I get it. Montreal Johnson will be credited with the drop for that. I find it very difficult to blame him for that. But the other four on the receivers. Um, back to Anthony Richardson just, just getting flustered and not being able to recover. He does that far too often. It, it's embarrassing how often he does it because – he just gets, and I mentioned this on a live on Saturday evening after the game, he gets flustered, and the the Dejon Reynolds dropped touchdown, which was Dejon Reynolds' only drop, if I'm not mistaken. Anthony Richardson then turned around, crouched, and just, like, sat there. Like, like crouched down with his hands hanging between his legs, and he just, like, looked away. He had his back turned. I, I think as a leader, because everybody talks about, oh, Anthony Richardson's taking up a leadership role. He's done this. He's done that. I think as a leader, you can't do that. You got to say, 
like you gotta be like okay like that's fine or or even if you're gonna be the type to pull them in i'd be like hey man like you gotta you gotta buckle up like you gotta do it even if you're gonna do that do that but don't turn around crouch and hang your hands between your legs like that is just you can't do that it's also frustrating that he's not nearly as aggressive as he should be he's one of the most physically gifted human beings on the planet i know it sounds annoying that i say that repeatedly it's true but he's got the green light to run pretty much whatever he wants zero carries in the first half start of the second half uh gators get the ball what does he do run run immediately rest of the game two carries there's a certain point where especially early in the game you see that i go when i'm handing this ball off there's a lane like there's you've got to force it you've got to call your own number i understand you know somebody saying uh, I want to give it to Montreal Johnson. I want I want to give the ball to our running back that is usually, you know, pretty good. I, I get it, you know. Um, but there's a certain point where you have to say, the best thing for the play, for the team on this play, is me calling my own number. Um, so I, I think you got to do that if you're Anthony Washington. You've got to be willing. Because what it comes down to is, do you want to win or do you want to make sure everybody gets their touches and everybody's all happy about it? Because that's what happens. That being said, one of the issues that I did have was that there were way too many times where the Gators just didn't seem adamant about running the football, where it was like a lot of play actions, a lot of RPOs. And I get it. I'm, I will tell you this. Statistics show you don't need to be a good running team to have an effective play action passing attack. Uh, that's what often that's what people like to say. You don't have to. You don't need to be good at running the ball. People try to excuse the Patriots for not running enough play action, uh, and they're like, "Oh, well, they're running games." Like you don't need to be able to run the ball. Analytics show, statistics show, as long as you're running a play fake, whether you have a good or bad running attack, play action helps you. But also. You need to run the ball if you're Florida, if you want to win the game. That That's what I'm saying. Like Statistically, you don't need to be a, an effective running team. But if you're Florida, you want to run the ball because that's what you need to do. And runs came too far and between for someone like Montreal Johnson or Trevor Etienne because Billy Napier and Anthony Richardson, especially in recent weeks, have consistently been like, oh, Montreal Johnson is one of those guys where as the game goes on, he, uh, I think it was Anthony Richardson was like, I don't think he gets stronger. I think other people just get weaker from him being so physical and all. And, and that's, that's a fair argument. That is a fair argument to just go, hey, he's conditioned to continue dishing out this punishment. Defenders are not conditioned to continue dealing with it. So that's a fair point. But fact remains, Montreal Johnson gets more effective as the game goes on. He gets better as he gets more carries, as he gets more involved and more into a rhythm. Give him the damn football then. I, I don't get 12 carries. Should not happen. But also, they, they came, you know, it was like once or twice a drive, they'd hand it off, and the rest they were doing play action. Give him the ball if he's good. Just just give him the football. And uh, last thing about the offense, because I'm, I'm, I'm about to have an aneurysm just talking about it, but the offensive line played their worst game of the season, at least in my opinion. It was the worst game of the season. Um, they just didn't come out firing. They didn't come out as aggressive as they have previously. That just wasn't what they did. They they were fine just being complacent and just going, ah, dealing with it, ah, dealing with it. 
penalties sucked. Penalties have sucked on the offensive line, whether it was Michael Tarpin starting a game with two false starts in the first drive or first couple of drives, um, holdings that are just dumb. And the, the one that was absolutely inexcusable on the offensive side of the ball, Kingsley Aguacan. I am, I'll tell you what, Wednesday, when I do the depth chart prediction slash suggestion piece, um, Kingsley Aguacan getting benched will be on there. A few weeks ago, it was because I was like, hey, I think he's banged up. No, I am just sick and tired of watching him play. He's been, he's perfectly average between the whistles. I won't take that away from him. He is perfectly average between the whistles. And yeah, you could be like, oh, hey, we don't need to necessarily, you know, like we don't necessarily need to upgrade that. That's fine too. But guess what? 22 penalties in the past two seasons. Between this season and last season, 22 penalties. By the way, that's the most from any Power 5 offensive lineman in that time span. From the start of the 2021 season to this past weekend, no offensive lineman in the Power 5 has more penalties than Kingsley Iguacum. Get him off the field because he is a complete detriment to your team right now. He is. He just... Again, I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know what it is. At this point, I don't care. He's hurting your team. His penalty was one of the stupidest penalties I've ever seen. I understand wanting to push the pile. I understand wanting to play to the whistle. What he did was nothing short of moronic. That was one of the stupidest offensive line plays I've ever seen. Of him just laying people out when Montreal was clearly getting dropped. There is no excuse for it. Sit him on the bench where he can't kill your team any more than he already is right now because it's ridiculous that the, the excuse is to keep him on the field. There is no way that Jake Slaughter or even Riley Simons are worse than him because he's, he's, again, average on the field. The penalties are the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I need him off. It's as simple as that. We're going to talk about the defense, which is kind of equally as frustrating. But first... Talking about the best defense you could possibly get because today's episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. The numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe Home Security to protect their home, and you don't earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. I know because I use Simply Safe in my own home. They protect you with cutting edge security technology powered by 24 7 professional monitoring agents, and they always have your Back. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash lockdown college. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. Visit simplysafe.com slash lockdown college to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Thanks again for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts and we're talking about the defensive side of the ball here for the Florida Gators, and it's a weird one because it started off very good for the Florida Gators defense. Um, game plan-wise, it started off great because the game plan, and I mentioned this on Saturday in the live stream after the game, but I'll talk about it here too, and I'll, I'll do my little, uh, my, my little whatever you want to call this presentation for you, <laughs> but... Florida started the game plan defensively with putting seven to eight defenders in the box. Usually it's six because now with everything being nickel, it's usually four players on the, along the line and then two off ball backers. Um, but no, uh, 
This time they put seven, maybe eight in the box at deep safety, two outside corners, and then someone who's either playing out of the box but close to it or also a deep side, but usually it was a deep safety, two outside corners. They stacked the box, and when Vanderbilt started the game with, I, I, I forgot how many it was, but I know it was at least two option plays. They, they started the game with two zone reads, one to each side. So the first time they, re- they ran the option forgot which side it was to, but they ran the backside defender and the backside defender stood up because when your backside defender stands up, that means that you hand that ball off to the running back. That's how you limit a very athletic quarterback from running all over you when it's an option game is that you stand right there on that edge and you wait and then you deal with them there and they hand the ball off. And if they want to keep the ball, then you get to make a play as an edge. So yay. So twice, that's how the game started. Both times, they read the backside end, and the backside end said, I'm going to wait right here, and you're going to hand that ball off. And every other box defender flew to the play side, flew to the side that the running back would be going to, which, by the way, if they ran, like, a read counter kind of thing, would have torched the defense. (laughs) Like, if you ran read counter and Mike Wright just went and touched the unblocked defender, that's a house call. Um Vanderbilt made the adjustment when they started reading the play side end. So let's say the play side end was Prince Lumon Mielin, because I'm pretty sure the play that I'm remembering where I was like, oh, they're starting to read the play side end. I believe it was Princely, where he stood up and Mike Wright read the play side end. When Princely just stood up on the edge, they hand the ball off because he's standing up. <laughs> like he he's standing up. He's not in really a position where he's firing on the running back. He's standing up looking at Mike Wright. So Mike Wright handed the ball off and whoever the running back was picked up. I think it was, it was 17 yards, if I'm not mistaken. And Florida didn't really adjust to that. Uh, This was not one of those games where we go, Hey, like Patrick Tony wants to be a mad scientist. Sean Spencer wants to create chaos. Like he's coach chaos. And there's going to be a little chess match here. This wasn't that this was just, Florida came out with a game plan on both sides of the ball. Vandy made adjustments, and Florida didn't. There's no other way to put it other than Florida got outcoached by, by Clark Lee and Vanderbilt. Simple as that. Like, Florida failed to make adjustments. That is so awful. And I don't know if it was one of those situations where Florida went into the game. They're like, hey, like we're just a better team than them. Like, we're more talented than, than them. So we're going to run out there with just our game plan, and we're going to keep executing our game plan. And over time, our talent will just beat theirs with no matter what their game plan is. <laughs> that didn't work, and you lost to Vanderbilt by a touchdown. Um, but I, I feel like that was the approach there. And the Gators defensive players, the first quarter, they did a very good job of just not giving up the edge. You know, there, there weren't a bit, a lot of wide runs. That, that wasn't happening. And then as the game drew on, the team started getting frustrated because the runs were still working for Vanderbilt. They just weren't going wide. They were kind of going between the guard and tackle, not outside the tackle. So they were working but they weren't going wide. And obviously if you're an end and you're just sitting there and it's like, Oh, well every play I just stand up and I watch what happens. That gets frustrating. And I think that's what happens. I think they got frustrated. 
And they just started saying, boom, we're going to go. And then it was just bully ball at that point. Vanderbilt was just pushing them around. There was a Vanderbilt rushing touchdown where I think it was Antoine Powell Ryland was the end. And he just let the guy get ed- get that edge to him. And <laughs> I, I spent quite a bit talking about how you need to not let them get outside your outside shoulder. And Florida just let that happen consistently. Florida just let Vanderbilt get outside, and it was just horrible. Because once the inside run started working, that opened up the outside run, and it just spiraled, spiraled for Florida. Um, it, It just became so bad defensively. They were getting frustrated. There were stupid penalties on defense, too. The Prince Leumann Mellon penalty was horrible. And I, I think I know what happened with the Prince Lee penalty. It looked to me like he got knocked down uh, to his like – he, he was knocked down to, I think, one knee, and then some offensive lineman for Vanderbilt like shoved his head, and then he got up and retaliated. But the thing is, like, it doesn't matter what happened prior to. If you retaliate – you're the one that's going to get flagged. That's how it works. Like that. That's just, that's how refereeing works. They never get the instigator. They always, always, always get the person who retaliates. That's one of the reasons that Saints fans and now Eagles fans love Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, but everyone else hates him because he's an instigator. He gets someone to slap him. He gets someone to shove him. He gets someone to do whatever, and they get penalized, and he's praised for it. It's one of those things where it cannot happen. There were penalties. There were stupid plays also where it's just like, I don't think some of those penalties should have been called penalties. But that is just the nature of the beast. That's bad officiating. Welcome to the world where there's always bad officiating. Um, There were some bright spots for the Florida Gators. Kamari Wilson kind of got to play his more natural box safety spot when Rashad Torrance got banged up. Um... Who, who else was it? J- Jason Marshall with that great interception, which with Jason Marshall, we could talk about the punt return because I have a couple of issues with that. One, why was Jason Marshall back there? Like, that's my bigger issue. Why was Jason Marshall back there to return the punt? I get it. They talked about doing it. He shouldn't be the punt returner. But that's a stupid decision. Like, Chris Couch, I don't know if you should have a job right now. Like, I, I'm not hoping... But I wouldn't be shocked if by the time this episode came out, you didn't have a job. Because what has special teams done at all this year other than suck? Because I can't tell you anything they've done positive. I can't. It's been bad consistently. Except Jeremy Crawshaw, Adam Holly for most part, has been good. But they've, they've, their penalties always, not explosive plays in the return game. Um, you put Jason Marshall back there when he has no business being back there. No business. And then we'll talk about the actual decision that was bad, which was trying to field that punt. I, I don't understand it. I understand like he was waving for a fair catch and all that, but if you're basically at your, what, seven don't fair catch it, especially if there's no one like is standing right in front of you waiting for you to screw that up. He misjudged the ball, which is expected because he's not a punt returner. And then he misfielded it 
it went into the end zone and it was a touchdown. And that was like the turning point. Cause the play before that Kamari Wilson dropped an interception that would have been for six, probably um, that one. I, I do have trouble faulting him just because he made a great play on the ball. And the ball was like back here when he tried to catch it. Um, and it was also kind of contested, but it was just such a swing for Florida where that was where the momentum just came crashing down. This is one of the softest defensive games that we've seen in a long time. Ventura Muller got ejected for, I think it was a 50-50 call if it's targeting or not. They felt it was targeting, so he's ejected. Uh, we'll talk about the repercussions there and, and the feeling that that's going to have on this Florida Gators because he can't play in the first half of the Florida State game. So that's going to really suck. Um, yeah, it's going to be rough, but... We're about to talk about the most disappointing news of the weekend, probably, which is just so frustrating. Uh, Marcus Stokes got his scholarship pulled from the University of Florida. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Nissan. This week's thrilling moment in college football is brought to you by Nissan. The thrilling designs behind the new lineup from Nissan are intended to empower drivers and vehicles as capable as the drivers themselves. And when I think of thrilling moments... I think it has to be Dejon Reynolds. Fourth down, touchdown catch. It makes it a one-touchdown game against Vanderbilt. Great, it came two plays after he had a drop touchdown. It was almost uh, almost another drop. I don't know if you guys saw it, but like it hit him in the face mask at first, and then he bobbled it and rolled it in. It was, it was nightmarish. It was nightmare fuel that whole game. But came down with it, and it was like, oh, like that got my heart racing. So it's got to be that for me, but... This segment's been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. To wrap up today's show, we are talking about Marcus Stokes. And I will say this. I'm only going to talk about the football aspect of it. I'm not the type to get political on the show, and that ain't going to change right now. But, um... Yeah, with the Marcus Stokes, a video came out of him, I think it was Friday, maybe Thursday, of him using a slur. Um, so a video came out a few days ago of him using a slur. He posted it. Like, I know that the Lockdown Gators Discord people are like, oh, I heard like he was rapping a song and it slipped while he was on a live stream. No, he was on Snapchat. He said what he said, and then he posted it. That's entirely on him. Um which, I mean, yeah, what I'm not going to get into it, like I said, but it's his fault is my point. Um, also came out yesterday that Florida pulled his scholarship, meaning he is no longer a part of the 2023 recruiting class, and I don't think it matters. Um, I, I think that if you're Florida, you go... And also, we, we could have the discussion of if this happened and Jaden Rashada was still at Miami... Would Florida have done that? Because then you would have pulled yourself without a quarterback in the class and you're right back to where you were when Jaden Rashad initially committed to Miami. It's like, well, we don't have our QB. We don't have this. We don't have that. Um, but no, now you have your QB. So yeah, you can debate what happens if Jaden Rashad is still in Miami. Do they pull the scholarship or do they not? I personally did not think that even now they would pull the scholarship. I thought that Billy Napier being Billy Napier would take that approach of saying, well, we're, we're going to use this as a teaching moment or as a learning moment for him. Um, but he got the scholarship pulled. I don't think it matters for the Florida Gators. You have a better quarterback committed. 
I don't think, even if you didn't have a better quarterback committed, I don't think Marcus Stokes is ever going to be QB1 of the Florida Gators. Um, Not that I didn't think he's got his freshman year, where Anthony Richardson might still be here. And then, then you got whoever is going to be here in 2024, but Florida's in on a lot of these guys. Um, So yeah, I don't think that we were ever really looking at Marcus Stokes as the future of Florida Gators football. Could have been, but I don't think that was in the cards really ever. Um, But yeah, no, we, we can definitely talk about the football repercussions of it, which is now you don't have one of the quarterbacks that was doing a ton of the recruiting for you. Uh, he was the one who, you know, tweeted, come play wide receiver for the Joker. Come do this with Joker. Uh, and it's wildly disappointing. But again, it's something where I don't think in the long run it ever really had an impact on Florida football or Florida football's future or anything like that. Um, yeah, it, it would suck if Rashada wasn't committed, but he is. So I don't think anybody really has to care about it. Marcus Stokes won't be a Gator. Hoping the best for him. Hoping he wises up a little bit. But uh, yeah, that is what it is. Thanks for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day every day. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Florida Gators football with that loss to Vanderbilt and how bad that was. Hopefully Billy Napier's press conference is happening. Uh, I mean, from the time this is releasing in a few hours. So hopefully... We'll get a little bit of clarity, a little bit of light shed for your second listen, making Lockdown SEC, hosted by Chris Gordy of Sports 790. Get the best coverage and the best conference, including the best university, University of Florida. For Lockdown Gators, I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find my written work with Whole Nine Sports and Giants Country at SI.com, and I'll see you all tomorrow.